All right, welcome everyone to episode 69. 69, what a great number. Mm. Just drinking a coffee here. It's uh, it's uh, mid-afternoon in Holland. You're listening to the P- Pushing Rubber podcast, your host Adam Pickett. Just uh, had a little bit of a trip to a little town called Leiden near Amsterdam. <clears throat> Good wife and I. Had a nice lunch, wandered around, um, bought a few things, looked in a few windows, did a lot of people watching, hot chicks of course, hot Dutch chicks, um, and uh, cold, it's cold here. I have some, excuse the chewing, some fine quality dark chocolate. My coffee. Now the podcast. It's episode 69, the last episode of the year. And I'm not going to do any yearly roundup bullshit. I'm not going to do that on the blog either, just so you know. Um... But I want to I want to go straight into it with um, this new Star Wars movie. <laughs> Apparently, this is episode eight, um, and the the movie that came out last year was episode seven. Now I haven't seen either of them. I refused to see when I saw what episode, the one that came out last year, which was. Um, I think Vox Day described the um, female character as a Mary Sue Walker, where, you know, she she can do everything. Picks up a lightsaber and, you know, five minutes later she's, you know, beating people who've been training their whole lives to do it and shows Chewbacca and Han Solo how to fly their own ship. If ever, if ever, remember, remember in the very first film when... Uh, when Luke was being cocky in the Millennium Falcon and Hansel goes, watch your mouth, kid, or you find yourself floating home. Well, that's when she really should have been floating home from all accounts because I didn't give him my money. No intention of giving my money. But I was amazed at how many of my uh, <clears throat> uh, long-term friends, people I've known for a long time, who also have the same political persuasion of me as me on a lot of topics, when the film came out last year, and I and I was very disparaging uh, of what they'd done, based on what I read, um, the blind adherence to all things Star Wars is good, no matter what they do to it. By these friends of mine, was quite you know, no, not disappointing, just revealing, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. We're going to defend Star Wars, no matter what they do to it. And I thought, well, that's very short-sighted because uh, if you all go along and watch this film and enjoy it and praise it to the heavens, which they did, the one that came out last year, of course, not the abomination. And that was not an abomination, apparently. I said, if you all praise it, the SJW convergence uh, of the Star Wars brand is just going to get worse and worse. Based on the film that's just come out, boy, was I right on that. Boy, was I right. Uh, for those of you who have seen it, why'd you give Disney your money when you knew it was going to be so shit? 
And don't don't try and please don't try and defend it. I've had people trying to defend it to me. Like they go, oh no, you know, it was a good film. It was a good film. And then they immediately list in all the awful things about it. Like, funny way to describe a good film. Not a great film. They didn't say it was a great film. It was a good film. Anyway, so one of my uh, one of my friends who's been a big big Star Wars fan his whole life, uh, as I was when I was growing up with the first three films. Um, on Facebook, put up this link to this petition, uh, which has started in America, and the petition is Change.org, uh, and have the petition's called "Have Disney Strike Star Wars Episode Eight from the Official Canon." <laughs> so far, it's got seventy thousand signatures. I think they—I don't know how many they need, as if it's going to happen. And here, here's what here I'll read it to you. Star Wars has long been a story about two things, the Jedi and Luke Skywalker. After over 260 novels where we could follow the adventures of that great hero. 260, are you shitting me? People have got too much time on their hands. You, the Walt Disney Company, decided to strike all of that from the official canon and you wiped out three decades of lore. We were excited to see episode seven to see how our heroes' lives turned out. Uh, Needed a possessive after heroes there. Since you took away what we knew, we saw the death of Han Solo. We saw less than a minute of Luke Skywalker. But you still praised the film, didn't you? You still praised that film when it came out to the heavens. Oh, it's great. Oh, we love it. That's the thing about this. They're all coming back now and going, oh, you know, we saw Han Solo die. There was less than a minute of Luke Skywalker and most of it was a Mary Sue Walker. Whatever. But you praised the film to the heavens when it came out. I know you did. I know. I saw it. Here we go. Though. Episode 8 was a travesty. It completely destroyed the legacy of Luke Skywalker and the Jedi. Destroyed the very reasons most of us as fans like Star Wars. This can be fixed. <laughs> right. Just as you wiped out 30 years of stories, we ask you to wipe out one more, The Last Jedi. Remove it from canon. Push back Episode 9 and remake Episode 8 properly to redeem Luke Skywalker's legacy, integrity and character. We stuck by you when you did things that hurt us before. That's why your fucking whole Star Wars has gone to shit, you morons. That line right there. We stuck by you when you did things that hurt us before. It's very emotional, isn't it? Hurt us. So we ask you now, please don't let this film stand. Don't do this to us. I've already done it to you, mate. Don't take something so many of us love so much and destroy it like this. Let us keep our heroes. Well, first of all, first of all, you still got your heroes. Even though George Lucas, you know, did make Han shoot second, Guido shoot first. I don't think you can get hold of the original. I don't know if you can get hold of the original Star Wars film where, you know, the original, before before stupid old Lucas went and did all his CGI meddling. Um, but we stuck by you when you did things that hurt us before. Well, you, that's, that's, there's your lesson, mate. There's a lesson to all of you out there. Don't. Don't stick by them when they start when they start tinkering and fucking it up and SJW converging things. Don't. Because then you get what episode 8 apparently is. Total shit. Total SJW convergence of Star Wars. But let us keep our heroes. You got your heroes? Yes, you got the first three films made in 1977, 19- I think it was 1980... 1983 was about right. 1981, 1983. Empire Strikes Back was the best film by far. Empire Strikes Back was fantastic. Uh, Return of the Jedi, of course, had Ewoks. 
<clears throat> First half of the film, Return of the Jedi, brilliant. Princess Leia in a gold bikini. Gold medal bikini, what's not to love about that? Um, not that she, Carrie Fisher was particularly hot, but just the whole, you know, degradation. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And the whole, you know, sand pit routine there, and, you know, Luke Skywalker becoming a full Jedi. God, it was such a, it was such a big deal, wasn't it, back in the day? You know, in, in, in Star Wars, you know, Luke was like, you know, he couldn't do anything with a force apart from, oh, you know, hear, hear voices in his head. <laughs> like, we all haven't heard that before. <laughs> Use the force, Luke. Trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. I've been saying that to chicks for years. <laughs> oh dear. But then, you know, in, in Empire Strikes Back, he's training and he's in the he's in the swamp there. Where was it? What was the name of the swamp place? With Yoda, you know, and trying to lift, you know, R2 detail the swamp and he can't do it. And then he goes in the tunnel and it's all the bad stuff. Rah, rah, rah. And so many barriers to overcome. And then. Then we get Return of the Jedi, and he is the Return of the Jedi, and Luke Skywalker's there, and he's got the Force Man, and he's doing all his stuff, and it was such a big deal. It was such a huge payoff, you know, for for seven years of filmmaking, the whole thing told out, and there he was, and he was he was it, man. He was the shizzle. Luke Skywalker was the shizzle. Wow, what a big payoff. And then they they came out last year with that Mary Sue Walker, and she just did everything. She did. She did, you may as well made the whole film. Just her and then a whole bunch of baddies and her doing everything. Because she didn't need anyone else, apparently. She could do everything that she wanted to do. No weaknesses, you know. Smashes that out of the park. Now the new one. We stuck by you when you did things that hurt us before. Let that line... (coughs) Let that line be a lesson to you. That uh, if if you do go along with the betrayal of things that you care about and you don't say something... Because you don't want to be seen, you don't want to step out of line, hey? Well, you deserve everything you get. You, des- you Star Wars fans deserve Episode Eight. You asked for it, literally. You deserve it. So suck it up. I, I, as a, as someone who grew up with Star Wars, who saw every film in the in the in the cinema, who had every Star Wars, well, you know, figure. God, I can't believe I had the Jawa. Ja, uh, the Jawa with the original vinyl cape. I had that. Apparently, now one of those in the box unopened is worth something like ten thousand dollars US. I think they cost thirty cents, thirty-five cents down at Coles Supermarket in Inglewood in uh, Perth. Jesus, mother of God. Um, yeah, you know, I I was a huge fan, huge, huge Star Wars fan. But come on, guys. Also, come on. Get a life. I mean. I was a huge Star Wars fan. I was seven years old, I think, when the first film came out. Six years old, seven years old, something like that. The last film came out, I was 12. 12 years old. Perfect age for this sort of stuff. Perfect age. Guys, why are you going to... Why? I couldn't, I couldn't sit through... I tried to sit through Star Wars again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll tell you the thing I do like, though, about the, the first three films is that there's no CGI. Can I just go on record as saying that I really, really dislike CGI? Whatever that stands for. What is it? Computer graphics? Fucking, I don't know. I really... Computer-generated image? Is that what it is? Computer-generated image. That must be it. I really dislike CGI. For two reasons. One, it just looks so fake. Um, 
uh, in a bad way. Whereas, you know, little models going around and explosions going off, they kind of look fake in a good way. There was, there was effort put in. And that's the whole thing. CGI is so lazy. And directors who can't tell a story to save their lives, um, who can't direct a film to save their lives, just rely on it. Oh, we'll fill it up with CGI. Oh, more explosions. Yeah, not a CGI fan. I meant to... You look back at films from the 60s and 70s. I've been, you know, a bit on a... On a I've been watching some, like, films from that time and and you've got to really... You've got to really pay attention. They're not, they're not handing to you on a platter. It's, it's some tricky stuff there. Um, the films now, I mean, I've heard that, that films and television across the board are aimed at people, average intelligence of 100. Um, I think that's why I like The Great Beauty so much, The Grande Belletta, an Italian film that came out, I think it won Best foreign film of the Oscars in 2014, I think it was, or 15. I love that film so much, and it's because it is not pitched at someone with an IQ of 100. There's no way. They won't, they won't last the first 10 minutes. I've seen it happen. Oh, I've seen it happen. But anyway, Star Wars fans, you deserve, you deserve your Star Wars film. You deserve it. That's what you've got. And I, I, I bet they'll come out with another one. And I'll be even more converged. Oh, the bleating. Oh, the bleating. You know, and you know what? The same people now who are signing, signing change.org, you know, ridiculously inept and hopeless um, petitions to Disney Company will go along and see every single movie that Disney releases in the Star Wars franchise. Disney could release a Star Wars film called Star Wars We Hate Jedi. Um, or No, they could release Star Wars Jedi, Jedi Take It Up the Bum. Yeah, Episode 11, Star Wars Jedi Take It Up the Bum. And the same people that are signing this so-called petition would be first in line wearing an Ewok costume to watch the fucking thing. Seriously. You just can't help yourselves because it's all you got. You haven't moved on from Star Wars, you know? Move on already. Come on, move on. Move on. I mean, it was it was great when I was... I, I was the perfect age for, for the Star Wars. My kids in my cohort were very lucky. Very lucky growing up with it. Well, it doesn't have to be shat on because you don't... Other, other films are there. I'm not even going to watch these films. I'll never watch these films. As regards to the ones that came out a few years ago, the other three ones, I think, what was it? The first one was A Phantom Menace. The, one, the first one had Jar Jar Binks. I saw that. I went along. I saw that. I didn't see the other two. I was like, nope. No. Fool me once. Shame on you. Well, fool me twice. Three times, four times, five times, six times. That's the rest of you Star Wars fucking freaks out there. You idiots. Anyway. Um, so Christmas in Holland, uh, my first Dutch Christmas, and the first Christmas that uh, I've spent with the wife's family, the first Christmas that the good wife has been back in Holland in over eight years, and uh, it was nice, you know. Um, the Dutchies, well, their main, their main Christmas thing is Sinterklaas, which is around December 8th, and that's when the kids get their presents. <coughs> Excuse me. 
but then they do Christmas and they do it on the 25th and the 26th um, on Boxing Day as well. I had so many Dutchies ask me why Boxing Day is called Boxing Day. I don't know. I don't know. In Australia, it's called Boxing Day because by that stage, everyone's outside hitting each other. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, but uh, anyway, so the, the Dutchies do it on the 25th and 26th. And basically what you do is you, you spend the 25th with one half of the family and do all the blah, 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 blah. And the 26th with the other half of the family and do all the blah, 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 blah. I don't know why you just get the whole family together, but anyway. So 25th, we went off and had a dinner. There was about, I think there was about 14 or 15 people, 16 people maybe. All relatives at um, my wife's aunt and uncle's house on her father's side. Um, that was very nice. But uh, the thing about Dutchies is, uh, it was dinner, okay? And Dutch Dutchies have dinner early, like Dutchies have dinner at 6, 6 p.m. Fuck knows why, but they do. Um, and, and Christmas is no different. But we got there, at, you had to get there at 3 and then what happens is you get there at three and then everyone has coffee and tea, or afternoon tea, and you all sit in a circle and talk. That's, there's three hours of that. And then you, have, uh, then you have your dinner and then everyone has coffee and tea and sits in a circle and talks again. I shit you not. Uh, we got there at three, we left at 11. It's a long time, seven hours, it's a long time. Especially when it's all, most of it's in Dutch and you know. I kept, I kept, I kept uh, I kept it together, but by the end of it, I was pretty well over it. Yeah, I think we left. It. Now, what time did we leave? I can't remember. If it was ten or eleven? I can't remember. Anyway, then on the twenty sixth, uh, the good wife and I hosted dinner at our house with with her immediate family came around for that, and I cooked. Um, we had goose. We had goose roulettes, which I picked up from uh, these guys that hunt geese here in Holland. And they make their own, um, you know, goose pate and goose sausage and all sorts of stuff. They'd they'd sold out of the of the goose breasts, which I'd wanted because goose, of course, is a traditional English dinner. And then, uh, so I had that for like a little 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 nibble at the start, and then uh, a uh, wild mushroom risotto, and then uh, pork shoulder uh, with savoy cabbage um, in butter. And then a um, like a chocolate uh, grenache, kind of like a souffle in little pots at the end. And uh, the day, the next day, yesterday, so I did all that in the oven, and then yesterday the oven stopped working, so that was pretty good timing. Um, and uh, we had an announcement for our relatives because uh, we've had the good wife and I. Those of you who are regular listeners, you know, the, the good wife and I are of course looking to purchase our first home in Holland. We've been looking for about four months. We've been looking all around Holland. We decided on Maastricht. Maastricht is about a two hour drive away from where the good wife's family live and are from. Um, and we chose Maastricht because we really liked uh, the countryside down there, the city itself, the lifestyle, where it was located was good for us for work. Um, it had a lot of advantages to it. Disadvantage, of course, is the big disadvantage is, of course, a long way away from family. And there were some work disadvantages as well. <coughs> so uh, the pluses and minuses, as with everything. Anyway, so we put an offer in on a house uh, Friday a week ago, and we missed out. Um, 
there was a, a local family from the same street who wanted it. And basically the real estate agent, who was not representing us, it was representing the seller, uh, used uh, us to drive up the price with the other ones because the other ones were always going to get it. Why were the other ones always going to get the house? Well, they were locals. And that situation was a really nice house and it was a really nice house. Uh, if a local wants it, a local's going to get it. And it was pretty obvious after the fact what happened. And I had my suspicions when we were going through the deal. Um, because we went down and saw it for the second time on the Friday. And then our representative rang the real estate agent because we have a mortgage broker. And the real estate agent basically said, make an offer, that's it. One offer, one time. We got someone else, best offer wins sort of shit. The thing I found out later was the other couple were putting in their offer on the Monday. We put ours in on the Friday. So, of course, they live on the same street. They've walked up, had a chat about it, blah, 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 and offered one euro more than we had. Do I have any proof of this? No. Do I know that's how it worked out? Absolutely. It got me thinking. It got me thinking. Because a few months ago, we were looking for uh, houses around the area where my wife grew up. Uh, I'm not going to say where that is, but uh, it's around around Utrecht, say so put it that way. And a uh, small town close to Utrecht. And um, we'd go to the, you know, open house, blah, 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 or the, we'd book in an appointment to view a house. We'd turn up and blah, 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 and real estate agent with us would obviously be asking questions about who we eat, are and where we're from and blah 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 and as soon as my wife said that she was a local from the area the vibe kind of changed you could see you could see doors opening people relaxing you're a local like being local means something and i um i haven't been a local for i haven't been a local for over 20 years Apart from, apart from a couple of years in Perth when we moved back to Australia in 2011, from 1995, I haven't been a local. I've been an outsider. I lived in Sydney, I lived in Cairns, I lived in Canada, I lived in Africa. I spent 10 years in Italy in a little mountain village. It doesn't get more outsider than that. And now we come back to Holland and I said, the good wife and I went into Amsterdam on Friday night. So this is a week or so after we missed out in the house. And we had... We found a really nice restaurant, actually. And we had a nice, very nice dinner. And I said to her, look, I, I just, I'm not sure about this whole Maastricht thing. You know, I'm not sure about it at all. I think that we're going to come up against this. I've been an outsider for 20, over 20 years. And I'm a little bit over it. And why do we want to move back to Holland and move two hours away from where my wife's from? And give us that extra handicap that we don't need to give ourselves now. I'm a, I'm a big, I am a big proponent, a very big proponent, especially of men, young men, of getting out and seeing the world, living around the place, getting life experience, making a man of yourself, putting yourself together bit by bit, taking yourself apart and putting yourself back together. When it comes to settle down, I have over time realized that local roots count for something. And here in my wife's hometown, I'll give you an example. 
So when we moved to Holland, uh, in August we had a housewarming party just because we're renting a place in her hometown. Her hometown's got about 50,000 people, I think. It's not a big town. Not small, but it's not big. And we invited uh, all of her family and friends and relatives around. So it was a bit of a housewarming, like also we've moved to Holland. It was a big deal. And we also, we just moved in and we invited the immediate neighbours. We invited, let's see, we're number eight. We invited number 10, number 12, number six, number four, number two, because across from us there's, there's, there's not really anyone there. And everyone came, all the neighbours came. Um, and it was a really good afternoon. Um, and the, the foundation of the party, the people that were there, there was probably about 20, 20 people, 25 people there. Uh, and it was just the right amount of people for the space dimensions. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And people stayed a lot longer than they normally would have, would have stayed because they were obviously having such a good time, especially the neighbours who, you know, for, for many of them, we, we were just meeting them there and then. We you know, knocked on the door and said, come along, but we'd never really spoken to them that much at all. The foundation of the party was the friends and relatives, Bianca's friends and relatives. And they, they were the foundation, which then made such a warm and, and welcoming environment in, uh, in this housewarming party that the, the neighbours just felt uh, really comfortable to be able to stay. One of those neighbours then, in December... A few couple of weeks ago, did a, uh, a Christmas market, and they're a nice young couple. They're probably in their late twenties, and she's actually G- German. She's from Germany, and he's Dutch, but he's not from this town. And they made a big effort, man, uh, a much bigger effort than we made for our house party, housewarming party. Um, like they went and hired all sorts of stuff. They made like a little Christmas market, and they had beer on tap and mulled wine, and uh, they went to a really big effort. But he, they're not from this town, so the foundation for the party were the people in the street, and then his parents were there and a couple of her friends, and that was about it. And it was nice, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same feeling. There's a, there's a Dutch word called gezellig, and it means coziness, warmth, home, homely warmth. Welcoming environment. It wasn't. It wasn't like uh, the party that we threw. It was nice. We had a nice time. But I used this as an example with a good wife, and I said, "If we move down to Maastricht and we have a housewarming party, we have that. That's what it's going to be like. Maybe a couple of your relatives will make the two-hour drive in one direction all the way down for it, but don't count on it. Uh, for whatever you decide to do, we'll be starting again from zero. Starting from zero and." It's tough enough moving all the way around the world and, and starting again then to, to handicap yourself another step by plonking yourself in the middle of a place where you have no connections at all. So as someone who's done that repeatedly in his life, I just said to her, I think we, I think we need to stay in your hometown. I think we need to look for a house there. And she agreed instantly. She hadn't been, she, she just instantly grasped what I was saying. She instantly understood. And it's going to be more difficult to find a house here. They're more expensive. They're not as nice, the houses. Like down in, around Rusty, we get a really traditional style house. 
really really the style that I like here it's kind of like 1970s visa block bullshit with people crammed in so and the prices are higher get less for your money blah 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 but but unfortunately that it's, it's, it's I saw that Aaron Clary did a, a video this week um, he did a video and the question the question was to look here um, request should you live near your family there we go and his summation was as I've watched it but his summation was as a general pol policy yes but it isn't necessary depends what what point of life you're at because if you're settling down you have kids you're married being serious are those family ties those family ties count for a lot and I have a friend who's South African who moved to Australia he's a few years younger than me um, he moved to South Africa he moved to Australia I think about six or seven years ago started up again in Adelaide bought a business there very successful has two boys uh, I think one's 13 one's 11 and asked him how his Christmas was this year we we're speaking uh, online and you know told me blah 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 and then I, I, I told him what I'm, what I'm talking about now and and he instantly agreed with me he said he said living in Australia now and not having the family connections that they took for granted before the family member that you did that he said to me the family member that you despise the most you, you, you just about give anything to have them living around the corner from you complete agreement with me family connections humans us we're social creatures guys you know we need those connections um, and like I said as a, as a young man especially you need to get out there and get out in the world and carve out a piece of it for yourself live all over the world it's a fantastic thing to do but uh, when it comes to settle down and it was a choice, Holland or Australia for my wife and I, obviously. We tried Australia. We did. We did two years in Perth in my hometown. Australia's just changed too much. Just, or, you know, I've changed. Or I stayed the same and Australia moved. I don't know. It just doesn't work for me anymore. I'm a Europe guy now. Really happy to be here in Holland. And... You know, the, the in-laws, oh, they've got their issues, as all in-laws do. But happy to be here. Happy to be here with the good wife's family. Extensive family. And a big support network as well, you know. So um, it counts for something. And I think... Um, I'm, well, I'm quite surprised. I'm quite surprised at how... I came to this realization, but it's the things. It's the things that you you only you only understand this stuff when you don't have it, you haven't had it, and then you get it. And this moving to Holland thing has been a tough gig. It's always it's always tough to transplant yourself and move halfway across the world and go to a um, a different culture. Um, and you know, what's what's made it part of what's made it 
um, work well is because of the family connections that my wife has here and friends. She's got, she grew up here, she went to school here, she has all her friends here, makes a difference. Uh, me, I'm kind of like an introvert anyway. So um, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually what you call a charismatic introvert. That doesn't exist and you can't find it online. It's my own invention. But I'm an introvert. Like I just don't, most of the time I just don't like people. But if I decide to turn it on, to turn, turn on the charm and the charisma, I'm the life of the party. And when I'm in the mood to do it, phew, unstoppable. And if people will go at people and I'll just be on fire all night and everyone will be like, oh, they think I'm the biggest extrovert all the time. And then we'll go out a week later and I'm just sitting there not saying a word. And they're like, what's wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Nothing, fine. Hmm? 80% of the time, I'm just like introvert, you know. So if you're going to move halfway around the world, being an introvert's cool, especially with the internet. <laughs> you don't need anyone else. It's perfectly fine. Shoutouts, Captain. I've already mentioned Aaron Cleary there. We got the video this week of uh, we're talking about that there. Uh, he also had an interesting one here. <coughs> Aaron Cleary, CaptainCapitalism.blogspot. Dot whatever country you're in, um, NL for me. Um, he writes about economics from a asshole right wing um, capitalist perspective. Very important for you if you've, uh, well, very important for everyone. You can always learn something about money. Always learn something about money. What have I learned about money recently? I think I've said this already in the podcast, but uh, it's not hard to make money. The hard part's not spending it. Hmm? Anyway, um, Aaron's got a bunch of books on this sort of stuff. Go to his site, check it out. Check out his YouTube videos. He puts up a couple of times a week. Check out his podcast. Uh, and he has a consultancy business called Arsehole Consultancy where he will answer your questions on a video, keeping it anonymous, if you wish. He's got a, uh, a post up today, 27th of December. We got him, uh, AKA the position of fuck you. Uh, I wanted to highlight this podcast by the Black Brigade debrief, this is Cappy, because of a particular story he tells in this episode it was about how one of his employers would say, we got him, when a new hire, upon accepting their job offer, would go out and borrow money to buy a brand new car or truck. We got them. I cannot emphasize this enough about gray-haired bosses and baby boomer scum and how they look at the younger generations as a source to feed upon. Your employees, the corporations and supervisors do not look at you as some kind of vital member of the team, but rather as a tool to advance their own aims. And they consciously push younger people to indebt themselves so that you need them more than they need you, thus allowing them not only the ability to squeeze more work out of you for less pay, but to maliciously and sadistically get off on treating you like shit. So do not go into debt. Do not buy cars you can't afford. Do not sign mortgages for McMansions because wifey poo wants you to. Be a minimalist, spend within your means, stay out of debt, and get into the position of fuck you. Uh, position of fuck you, of course, summed up best in that terrible movie, The Gambler, with Mark Wahlberg, but the John Goodman scene there, absolutely brilliant. Um, great quote. His employees, employees would say, we got him when a new hire upon accepting the full-time contract went out and took out a loan for a car or a truck there. That, that, that just, we got him. We locked them down. That's how people think. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and yes, you know, as the wife and I are currently looking for a house, could we afford a big McMansion? No. Could we, not afford, could we get the loan for a big McMansion? Yes. 
We could. Are we going to? No. We're gonna we're going for a place that will be about half of what uh, we can get, as in a loan. So let's say, let's say, I'm gonna throw numbers out there that are completely wrong, of course. Let's say that we are able to get a loan for 200,000 euros. Well, then we're gonna buy a house at the most for about 100, 125, okay? They're not the figures, of course, but let's just say. Um, and we're gonna look for a place that has good bone structure, good location, but inside is dated, and then we're just gonna we're just gonna fix it up because people just want to walk in and just have it all. They want the kitchen and they want the bathroom, they want everything done, and they'll pay through the nose for it. Um, the house that we missed out down in um, Maastricht area was all done, but it wasn't paid through the nose. It was cheap. Should have offered more, but then again, maybe it was a good thing we missed out because I came to the realization that connections are what really count when you're settling down and connections are actually what counts when you're when you're out forging your way in the world as well like for those of you who have read my first book pushing rubber downhill in africa in uganda the the part of the story where the guy the safety guy i was working with went insane and literally went insane and I detail that. Um, I go into quite de- quite extensive detail in that in the book. Um, and then tragically killed himself a few years later after he left Africa. I really think that part of it, you know, was um, he didn't have the connections and he needed them. He didn't know he needed them. He didn't know what, what was missing. He didn't understand. And he pushed it too far. Connections are important. You have to You have to work out for yourself to what extent they are. They are important for everyone, but to what extent they are at what point in your life is what's key. Staying on top of that and working it out is one of the keys to being satisfied. And I want to say happy, satisfied, content, at place in the world. These things are important. Plonking yourself down in a town where you don't know anybody, where you don't have any connections, uh, it can take years to build those things up. I was 10 years in Italy, um, working there, employing people. By the time I left, I could walk into just about any store in that whole valley of 15,000 people and the people would know who I were and who I was and welcome me and call me by name and blah, 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 blah. And people used to come over. I think my dad coming over. I'd been there for about six years or something. And my dad came over to visit for a few weeks and he was absolutely amazed. Took a long time. And that was back in my late 20s, this early 30s, when you, it's probably your peak energy for these sort of things. you know. Um, and having a local girl really counts. Having a, lo- a, a local who's your girlfriend or wife really, really counts in this instance. Um, so your place in the community, your sense of community is, is, is crucial, crucial. Um, but you just have to, like I said, you just have to work out how crucial it is for you at this point in your life that you're at now. Um, and you have to make sure that that's worked out for yourself. Um, and it, it, it's, it's got a lot to do why making f- new friends when you're older can be so hard. It's that connectiveness. 
Like where where I grew when I grew up, I grew up in Perth in Western Australia. I got back to Perth and it was I'd been away for twenty years almost. It was no problem. What school did you go to? Blah blah blah. Who'd you play cricket for? This person, that person. This is a city of one point five million people. But I met people who'd been living in Perth for fifteen years and hadn't made a friend. People who moved across from Melbourne or Sydney. Very insular for a big city. Very, very interesting. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get in there. Your kids will get in, but you won't. Being a migrant's very, very lonely in those sort of situations. And I feel for people like the Italians who emigrated en masse in the '60s, '50s, and '60s after World War Two. That was, uh, by the way, that's a firework going off there. The Dutch, uh, the Dutch are big on fireworks. Uh, we're coming up to New Year's Eve, and the shops are absolutely stocked with fireworks and and you walk down the street and kids are throwing them at your feet at the moment it's pretty exciting pretty exciting stuff uh, it wasn't a gunshot don't worry you can all you can all calm down you can all stop panicking look that's the that's the podcast i'm gonna leave it there uh, thanks for listening thanks for listening throughout the whole year i hope you have a really good new year um and uh we'll see you here in 2018 um and um I hope we'll keep listening and we'll keep doing the podcast and uh, it'll keep building up slowly and slowly. And remember, if you want a good read over the holidays, go to my, my website, Pushing Rubber Downhill, and you can pick up my books there through Amazon or Book Depository or your local bookshop. Great read for the holidays. You know you want to. Uh, give them as a gift. And uh, sign up to the podcast if you haven't already. Sign up to the blog if you haven't already. There you go. Sign your life away, kiddies. Have a great new year. Don't be silly. And uh, I'll see you next year. Ciao.